Would you slip your hands up for a moment by your heads and let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for being alive. I don't want to be the only one. God, I thank you for being alive today. Oh boy. God, we thank you for being alive today. Because your mercies, according to your word, are new every morning. Which means that if we are alive in this moment, it means that you've forgiven us again. Oh my goodness. You've forgiven us again for things that we did that we knew about, that offended you. But you've also forgiven us for things that we didn't know about, that offended you. So thank you for just being alive today because being alive is a great gift from you. Would you join me in this prayer just by simply saying, God, thank you. That's it. Say it again. God, thank you that you allowed me to see this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you love Jesus, give him a great big thank God for praise. Amen. You may take your seats. Can I use one of these? I'm grateful to be here today. I am grateful for the clouds and I'm grateful that it started to drizzle and then it stopped. So I'm grateful today, and I'm grateful to be here at Love Chapel Hill. This is one of my favorite places to be. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark Johnson, and I have the great pleasure of serving as the pastor of Life Church uh, here in the Chapel Hill and in the Durham area. Uh, but Love Chapel Hill is one of my favorite places to be, so I'm excited to be here. Matt Leroy is one of my closest friends and um, he's away right now. He and Sarah are away. I think I saw the twins around here somewhere, but I'm so grateful for Matt. God um, knitted our hearts together, gave us a bond and a connection, and it was really at a moment that I was probably my lowest in life, uh, but God knows what you need when you need it. And so Matt and I became friends and he really just poured into my life, prayed with me, didn't judge me, didn't judge my crazy thoughts, and he and I became friends in that way. So you have a wonderful teacher, uh, and just all of the leadership, all of the teams here at Love Chapel Hill, it's good to see you. I remember attending some of the Tuesday night uh, Bible studies in Moe's Grill. This was before the pandemic, right? Uh, so I'm seeing some of those faces from that as we studied the Gospel of John and the book of Acts. So it's so good to see all of you, uh, Justin and Joel, to you and your families, to all of the Love Chapel Hill folks. It is a blessing to be here today. I also want to give God praise for Life Church. I, I believe that I serve one of the greatest churches this side of the kingdom. I do. And I see some of the lifers here today. God bless you so much. We actually thought, this is my fault, I actually thought there, were, there was going to be a live feed. So I told everybody on social media to meet us on one of our pages, 
Love Chapel Hill will be showing it. Life Church will be showing it. I just knew that there would be a live feed. There is no live feed. I didn't know that. So uh, to all of you who are joining us, we went live to our page via Facebook Live and Zoom. My bad. That's on me. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to get into the word of God here in just a moment, but I want to do one more thing. Um, I mentioned Life Church, and one of the reasons why I love the church is because I get the chance to do community with some amazing, amazing people. And one of those people uh, is, her name is Sister Barbara Hedden, Sister Barbara Hedden. She's probably on Zoom. I'm hoping she can hear me right now, but it is Sister Barbara's 80th birthday. Yes. Amen. So Sister Barbara, if you could hear me, happy birthday to you. We pray God's blessing. Thank you for the blessing that you've been to us. You are a matriarch, a mother, a queen mother in our space, and we so uh, love and appreciate God for you. All right, take your Bibles. Thank you for allowing me a few minutes just to kind of do some introductory things. Take your Bibles. Here's how we do it. Your devices, whatever you have. Here's how we do it at Life Church. Take your Bibles and just kind of wave it this way. I want to see that you guys still bring Bibles to church. Amen. That's awesome. Repeat after me. God, this is your word. I think we have some more people to make a louder sound than that. Say it again. God, this is your word. I love your word. I need your word. I got to have your word. Now put it on your chest and say thy word. That's a King James Version. When you say thy, I know you guys don't read the King James Version. Say thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Father, bless your word and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Do me a favor. Turn to the book of Genesis, the last chapter in Genesis. So that's Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And I'm going to read one verse for your hearing to get us started. I'm reading from the New International Version. But whatever your version of choice, would you read along with us? Genesis chapter 50. One verse to get us started. Verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The word of the Lord is blessed. You intended to harm me, but God. Everybody say, but God. Now listen, I'm one of those kind of speakers that needs for you to talk back to me, right? I don't want it to be quiet. I want us to make some noise. It's okay to talk back to me. It's okay to make a noise and a sound. If you hear something in the message that resonates with you, you can clap, you can say amen, you can snap your finger. Everybody snap your finger. I just wanna, I just need to hear some kind of sound to let me know that the word is resonating with you. You got it? All right, all right. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is, the, this is Israel's patriarch, Joseph, speaking to his brothers, 
in a very climactic moment in this story. Joseph's story is told between uh, Genesis chapter 37 and 50. We're at the height, the climax of the crescendo of this story. And he's speaking to his brothers. And he says to them, everything you did to me, you intended it to harm me. But God, I always love a but God in scripture, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. And listen, if you needed an early place to celebrate the word of God, I wanted to announce to you that you still serve the God that can take things that people intended to harm you and God can still turn it around and use it for your good. That was a place for you to say amen or snap or make some noise. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. You'll, you'll, you'll have more opportunities. He's still the God that can take things that people meant and targeted you with in malicious ways. God can still take things that others meant for evil and turn it around and use it for your good. This is Joseph. Joseph is, um, Joseph is chosen by God. Joseph is prized by his father, Jacob. Joseph is despised by his brothers. His brothers hate him. His brothers hate him so much because his father loves him so much. And Joseph um, is the dreamer. So you may see in the rundown that this uh, message is entitled for dreamers only. All right. That might change about midway through the sermon, but we'll see where we get to. For dreamers only, because Joseph is this dreamer. Joseph is given a dream by God, but Joseph's dream disturbs his family. It's not something they want to hear. And because they don't understand him, they plot to do evil things against him. This is Joseph, the one who was thrown into the pit. Joseph, the one who had to spend a bid, spend some time in prison, falsely accused. Joseph, who moves from pit to prison to palace. Joseph is now in a position where he can go one of two ways. He's standing in front of his offender. He is now judge and jury. He is now judge, jury, and executioner. He can choose in this moment to take his revenge. His brothers at this point in the story are at his mercy. But instead of choosing to reckon with his brothers, he opts to reconcile. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful moment. He, he can judge them. He'd be justified in whatever he said to them next, whatever he decided to do next. He is a man of power at this point. He could judge them. He could have them all thrown in prison at this point. But instead of choosing to take his revenge, he chooses to reconcile. Pause parenthetically here. Joseph is a much better man than I. 
Yep. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good person. My wife, Amy, is here. My son, Ethan, is here as well. He's not feeling too good, but, but they're up here in the top, my left, your right corner. Everybody say, hey, Amy, hey, Ethan. I, I think my wife would say that I'm a pretty good guy. I think that she would say that she was immeasurably blessed to be married to me. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you all were paying attention. I don't really believe that, wink, wink. Um, I think I'm a pretty good guy, but Joseph is a much better man than me. If, if I'm standing in front of these guys who did all this to me, like, I'm a good guy. Like, I'm going to ultimately, you know, forgive them. It was a famine. I'm sure I, I let them eat some of the royal chicken and, and food and grain. Um, but before I did those things, let's just say I, I might take them on a little tour, right? A little guided tour, right? How many of you can, can say you probably would have forgiven them, but you would have said a few more words than, you know, it's okay. Yeah, okay. I wanted to make sure I was in the right place. I wanted to make sure there were others like me. I'm going to take them on a guided tour because I want to take them back to the pit that they threw me in. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to make sure you eat and make sure you have what you need. But before we eat, right, I want you to see this place where that caused me so much pain. I want you to, I, and, and you know what, I'd have them all stand around the cistern, the well that they threw me in, the pit they threw me in. And I have all the guards just surprisingly shove them into the pit, right? Hey, guys, I just wanted you to know this is what it feels like, right, to be thrown into a pit. I'll come back in about 30 minutes. I'm going to Vimalus, going to get some butter, chicken, and naan, and I'll be right back. I'm not going to leave you there. I just want you to know what it feels like, right? And then I put the chains on their wrists because I would want them to know what it feels like to have chains on you, shackles on your feet, chains on your wrists, because someone, your brother, the ones that you love, the ones who were supposed to love you, they sold him into slavery. I, I would want them to know at least what the chains feel like. And let's take this walk through this journey. I would lock them in the prison, turn off the lights. I'm not gonna leave you here. I just want you to know what it feels like, right? Joseph is a better, man than me and maybe if you're being honest today he's probably a better man than than many of us here because we would want for those who hurt us those who injured us those who offended us to pay in some way but at the moment of reckoning joseph chooses to reconcile isn't that beautiful who does that thank you thank you you, you get it you get the prize joseph's action he was misunderstood. He was mistreated. He was wrongfully accused. He was physically abused. He was abandoned, rejected. He was imprisoned wrongfully. He was betrayed by those he loved the most. And yet he chose to reconcile. Who does that remind you of? Some of you are like, it reminds me of me, Pastor Mark. No, I'm not talking about you. Uh, it reminds us of Jesus, right? Joseph's life points to Jesus. As a matter of fact, all of the Old Testament in some way points to Jesus. All the Old Testament really anticipates the coming of 
the Savior. And that's the Jesus we serve, the Jesus that would have been justified to judge us, the Jesus that would have been justified to take his revenge of all the offenses, yet stands in a moment of judgment and instead of judging us, chooses to reconcile with us. Now, I have this thing at Life Church that we do, and I want to introduce you, Love Chapel Hill and the Rock Church to this. The Rock Church, we celebrate, did I say that right? The Rock Church in Raleigh. I want to introduce you to this. At any point in the message, if you hear something that's connected to the gospel, I need you to celebrate that, all right? So when I said just now that Jesus could have judged us, but chose to give his life for us, that was a moment for you to celebrate. Let me, let me try it again. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Let me reverse it and try it again. Jesus could have judged us. Jesus should have judged us. But what he chose to do was to lay down his life for us. The reason I do this is because I don't want us to become desensitized to the glorious gospel. This is the glorious gospel. This story is quite simple. We were wrong. He was right. He would have been justified to judge us, but instead of judging us, he forgave us. He shed his blood and died for our sins. That's how much, that's how much the Lord loved us. Joseph points to Jesus. Joseph is the undercard. Jesus is the main event. Joseph is one of the appetizers. Jesus is the main course, right? Joseph is the previews that you usually eat the popcorn and candy before the movie even starts. I'm guilty. Jesus is the feature film. Joseph is pointing to Jesus. Speaking of Movies, I am a big fan of superhero movies. I just love, anybody else? I just love superhero movies. I, I, I really do. And, and what I love, like, I feel like the best superhero movies are the ones that have like the, these, these complicated villains, right? The layered villains. I, I love the superhero movies that have like the, the villains with the background story. Right? Not just folks who are evil just to be evil. There's no fun in that, right? But, but the ones who have some background story. Not, not, not just evil just to be evil. Not, I, I don't know if many, is anybody old enough to remember Friday the 13th? Right? Jason Voorhees, right? That's just evil just to be evil, right? Anybody uh, remember Friday the 13th? Oh, I just said that. Anybody remember Nightmare on Elm Street? Freddy Krueger. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember Halloween? Michael Myers. Any, yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure out, like, where were my parents when I was watching this? Like, how in the world? There are some things that I watched as a kid I would never let my son watch. Um, yeah, not just evil just to be evil. I'm talking about layered villains, right? So think Darth Vader, right? Who starts out as potentially one of the strongest Jedi, right? But something happens and the evil overwhelms the good. Think, think, uh, think about uh, the Joker from DC Marvel, right? Uh, it has some emotional and mental illness, right? Some psychotic behavior, but there's something underneath his action. Or my favorite, the boss of all bosses, 
uh, Thanos. Thanos the, the Titan, right? From the Avengers movies. Thanos uh, has this uh, idea of uh, regulating the world, right? He, he, he goes about it the wrong way, but he, he's really trying to solve the world's problems of starvation and lack of resources. And he, he's trying to do it in his mind by wiping out half the population, right? And so we start to kind of uh, lean into the complexity of some of these characters. Watch this, based off of who's telling the story, right? Like we, we start to, in some ways, be fascinated by these villains based off of who's telling the story and how the story is being told. Now, when you really look underneath, these are fierce, ferocious villains. Like, they're trying to take people's lives. But because of the storyteller, because of how the story is being told, there are some parts that we tend to miss. I call these complicated villains. Complicated villains. Well, can I tell you something? That in the story of the gospel, the story that God tells about the gospel... When we allow God to tell God's story, when we allow the Bible to speak for itself, what we find in the gospel is my first point, that Jesus is the hero. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. And I want you to underline and circle the word the. Jesus is the hero. He's not a hero. He's not one of many heroes. He's not a version of a hero. Jesus is the hero. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. But even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the hero. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the hero. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, that is the gospel. Jesus is the hero. And if Jesus is the hero, then where does that leave us? If Jesus is the only hero, then where does that leave us? Right? Because we often quickly align ourselves with the hero in every story. As a matter of fact, when I was talking about Joseph earlier, you probably situated yourself somewhere connected to Joseph's story because you've been betrayed before. You've been falsely accused before. You've had some mean things and some evil things done to you. So it was easy to align yourself with Joseph's story. But what if I told you that you're not Joseph in the story? You're actually the brothers. What if I told you that there's only one hero and his name is Jesus? If Jesus is the only hero, then where does that leave us? Here's my second point. Jesus is the hero. We are the villains. Quiet. <laughs> because nobody came to church today. <laughs> 
to hear that you are, in fact, the villain. Now, earlier I talked about there being complicated villains. If you're taking notes, you can make yourself feel a little bit better. Just write down, I'm a complicated villain. As a matter of fact, I know it makes you feel uncomfortable, so I'm going to have you say it. I am a complicated villain. Yeah, in the story of the gospel, Jesus is the hero. We are the villains. I know that doesn't sit well with you, but it's something that the Bible actually teaches. Can I take you a few places? Isaiah chapter 64. If you want to turn there with me, because it's good to turn your Bible in church sometimes. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 7. Note verse 6 reads this way. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We talk about some Bible word study. Study that term filthy rags. See how you feel after that. Jeremiah chapter 17. Verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Remember, we are the villains. I got one more for you. It's in the New Testament, Romans. By the way, these aren't the only verses that speak to this. I'm just giving you a few. But it's Romans chapter 5. Verse 10, listen to these words. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, do you see that in your Bible? If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Here's my point again. In the story of the gospel, we are villains. We don't like to sit in that kind of truth. We don't like the way it makes us feel. And make no mistakes about it, Love Chapel Hill and the Rock Church, Life Church, and visiting friends. I, I didn't come today to make us feel bad. I didn't, I promise you. It, it's not the goal of this sermon to make you and I feel bad. The goal of this message is to help us realize that we are bad. We are desperately in need of a savior and it's not about good works and it's not about how much money we give to organizations and it's not about philanthropic efforts and it's not about how nice we are to the neighbors and to the other parents at our children's school it is about a heart nature that is in desperate need of the only one that can save us We are complicated villains. I believe it was St. Um, Augustine who made popular this term, original sin. I believe it was uh, 
uh, Calvin and Arminian who took it a step further to talk about depravity, right? Some of you are like Arminian, Calvin, like, is that the new vegan? No, these are like classical theologians. It was Tertullian who talked about the transfer of sin from the original uh, individual Adam and Eve transferring sin throughout uh, generation to person to family. The Bible talks about we were born into sin and shaping into iniquity. This is not about me making you feel bad. This is about helping you realize that uh, by nature we are bad. That until we have the transformative experience with the one who died for us, we remain in a state of being lost. We are by nature sinners. We are complicated villains. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Um, don't give it away to your neighbor. But just blink at me twice if you're guilty of um, either entertaining or saying or thinking this statement, right? Um, I'm not racist. There's no way I can be racist. Some of my best friends are complicated villains. Tell me if you've ever heard or ever thought about this one. I don't know why they keep making it about race. It's always a black and white thing. They just need to let it go. Complicated villains. Stop me if you've heard this. Maybe you didn't say it, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's the person sitting next to you. If the police arrested them, and if the policeman shot them, then they must have done something to provoke the police. They should just uh, not resist. They should just go along with it. They must have done something to deserve that. Complicated villains. Stop me if you've ever said or thought this. All white people are all black people are complicated villains. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about your neighbor. Complicated villains. Stop me if you've ever thought or said this. Until they know what it's like to be snatched from their country, put on a ship, shipped to another land, forced to be enslaved and to build and to farm and to harvest and to work in uh, unworkable situations, I will never forgive them. Until they know what it feels like to have hoses turned on them, to have uh, vicious dogs sicked on them, beaten and bitten, until they know what that feels like, I will never forgive them. Until they know what it feels like to have to do twice the work only to receive half the pay, I will never forgive them. Complicated villains. 
And if you're taking score, then three-fifths of that was for you. Bars. No. All right. Jesus is the hero. We are villains. What I want to say to you is that we have an awesome opportunity here. If you're here today, if you're listening online, if you're here in the Forest Theater, we have an awesome opportunity today to be led by the Spirit, to change something, to plant something in this generation that prayerfully our children and our children's children will reap the harvest of. But this is not the moment for us to stick our heads in the sand. This is not the moment to ignore what's happening around us as if it's not happening. This is not the moment to shy away from uncomfortable situations. This is not the moment to ignore this, uh, this place and this moment that God has given us. This is our moment because God knew that we would be alive in this generation, in this season, in this time in this country for such a time as this. And if you are a Bible-believing church, if you are a Jesus-following church, if you are a Spirit-led church, Jesus doesn't lead us away from what is difficult. Jesus leads us into the darkness, which is the reason why he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of this world. And light uh, doesn't need to be concerning ourselves and shining in spaces that are already bright. I wish you would be the kind of light that would seek out darkness, that would seek out the spaces that need the love of Jesus. You are supposed to be the beacon of light, the church, God's answer to reach the rest. Oh, yeah. Because Jesus is the only hero in the story of the gospel. We are the villains, but something happens that through one man, sin enters the world. But through another man, grace meets sin. That through one man, sickness and disease enters the world. But through another man, there comes healing both now and forever. That through one man, division enters the world, but through another, there is true reconciliation. Number one, Jesus is the hero. Number two, we are the villains. Here's my third and final point. In the story of the gospel, the hero dies for the villain. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, in all of the superhero movies that we love, it's mostly the hero making sacrifices for the innocent. In the story of the gospel, there is no innocent. There is only one who is perfect. His name is Jesus. Everybody else is the villain. And in the story of the gospel, the hero actually lays down his life for the villain. hope that you will leave this moment not shying away from the things that God is trying to get you to face 
I'm not trying to, again, tell you that you are a bad person. I think if you read this book in context, you'll get the feelings that you're supposed to get. And that's what makes grace so amazing. That no matter what your family and friends see, and no matter if you put the 97th picture on Facebook and Instagram, right? That perfect picture. God sees who we really are. Behind closed doors, when nobody is watching, when nobody else can hear us, God sees who we really are. And God sees all of that and still chooses to love us. Because, because in the story of the gospel, it is the hero that dies for the villain. You want to know what reconciliation is? I do too. I think we call things reconciliation, but we've really made our own definitions. I think there's a mystery to it. And I think we find the realization of that mystery in the cross. That the cross that Jesus died on. That through the vertical beam, there is reconciliation between enemies and God. That's righteousness. But in the horizontal being, there's reconciliation between us and us. There's the vertical between us and God. There's the horizontal, us and us. And it is only in the cross of Jesus Christ that we will ever find true reconciliation. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask that Ryan would join me here and begin to prepare. Close your eyes for a moment. The title of this message was For Dreamers Only. And I need you to do me a favor. I need for us to have a collective dream that is beyond our individual lives. So I'm going to ask you with your eyes closed in this moment. What do you see? What is God showing you in this moment? Not the program that you're trying to finish or the job that you're hoping you qualify for. Not the dreams of being married with 2.5 children. Still not sure what 0.5 children is, but no, not those things. Not the dreams of climbing the corporate ladder or working for a number of years until you're able to retire in a place that doesn't have taxes. I'm talking about the God-given dream. What is the what is the dream that God is giving you? And what I hope is that in all God shows you that God shows you God's desire to work through you, to bring people around you to the love that saved you. Can I influence what you see in this moment? Can you take some people in your life that you know are hurting Take some people in your life that you know are angry, are frustrated. People that you feel as though life has given, has dealt them a bad hand. Can you see those people 
aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, family members, your mom, your dad, your professor, your, your dorm mate. Take those people and I want you to see with this God-given dream, God pouring out God's love upon them. Can that be our collective dream? Can we see a world of true reconciliation? Can we distance ourselves from these ideas that we should all be colorblind because God doesn't care about color? When in reality, in Revelation, John talks about a day when he sees everyone represented in that moment. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all hues, all beauty. Can that be our dream for UNC, for Duke? Can that be our dream for Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh? Can that be our dream for the triangle and the triad? Can that be our dream for America, for this world? Can that be our dream both now and what is to come? I want God to show you this hoping that once you see it, you can never unsee it. Jesus is the hero. We are the villains in the story of the gospel. But the good news is that the hero dies for the villain. And you are, you are God's plan to reach the rest. God, thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got anything out of the message today, can you clap your hands together and just like